Hallelujah. It's another Wednesday and we thank God for how far he has brought us. We are really grateful to be alive because there's so much happening. But God has kept us and for that we are grateful. The Bible says in Psalm 100 verse 4 that we should enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. We should be thankful to him and bless his name. So this evening, we need to be thankful and we need to be joyful. Let's shake off every tiredness. You know, that news that you heard that brought your mood down during the day. Let's shake it all off because we've come to our Father. We've come to our Lord and we've come to our Creator to learn and to understand more things to help us as we go on in life and to change our destinies. So today, this evening, we have another Get Understanding. I get really excited when it's Get Understanding because we have so many wonderful questions and, you know, deep, deep answers that our bishop is able to give us. And so we are really happy that today we have another one. Today we are focusing on family, marriage and relationships. Those are really powerful topics, so I believe we'll have a really lovely time this evening. But of course, we cannot have get understanding without our own papa. So let's put our hands together, as usual, with some emojis and some shouts and some dancing, as we welcome our very own bishop, my papa, Bishop James Hansen Saki. Papa, you're welcome. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much. Thank you, Deacon Hama, Hama Hammond. <laughs> uh, we thank God for this evening and thank God for the grace he has given to us again to, to come your way uh, we want to pray shortly and ask God for wisdom uh, to help me in Jesus name let's pray Father we are grateful to you for the opportunity we thank you for your Holy Spirit we pray for wisdom and understanding this evening I pray in Jesus name that Lord you will bring answers to your people let it be biblical let it be spiritual let it be instructive let it be life-giving in jesus name amen 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 so um like i said today we are focusing on family marriages and relationships and we have some questions that have come through already some people have been really looking forward to it so we'll start off with the questions um, and as usual, if you have questions as we go on, please post them on YouTube, Christchurch HQ, or on our Facebook page, and we will pick it up. And hopefully, we'll have time to go through all the questions. Yes. Amen. Amen. So, I think I'll start with um, a really hot one, Papa. <laughs> <laughs> um, the first question is, is it advisable to keep a joint bank account in a marriage? Hey. Money is causing problems. Okay, that's a very uh, practical question. Is it advisable to keep a joint account in a marriage? Um, I believe that the original intention for marriage, and especially with money, is that once we are married, we should be very transparent with money, and we must be trustworthy with money. And so if we could trust ourselves, then it is good to have a joint account. However, experience has also shown that it has been abused by one person in the marriage or the other. And so it makes it very, very difficult to 
to maintain that. In some other um, churches that I know, which of course I don't subscribe to fully, is the fact that, you know, for instance, there, there is that sort of alpha male control in the home where the lady is told that she should bring all her salary to the husband and the husband will put it in his account. And then he directs when and how she would use it. I believe that with experience, um, there is the need for a joint account. But the joint account should be described as a project account. And so if both couple are working, then their salaries will go into their account and they will agree that for the project of the home, we will, I, for instance, for example, um, the lady will bring 30% of her income and the gentleman also brings 30% of his income. And that goes into a project account. That is clearly defined for running projects of the marriage. Uh, marriage must have a vision, must have a future, must have a plan. So what we are putting down should be for projects and we can label them in different ways. You know, so project one may be for university school fees in the next 10 years. So that's what we're putting down. So though we all saving 30% of our income, maybe 10% out of that is really going into the school fees of the children. The other one is going to a building project. The other one is going to some other projects, you know. So that 30% is well allotted and that is a project account. So that is a joint account in both names and, you know, both of them will sign for um, and unless you, you trust yourself to that point. Well, we should trust ourselves to that point where one person could sign for the other. But at best, it is better to have that so that there is also freedom around, you know, the usage of one's resources. So it doesn't have to be that the lady have to queue up, write an application to ask for money for her wig, um, you know, for every week. And it's determined, no, I gave you last month, you are not getting it this time. And it's her own money. You know, that becomes controlling. That is not loving. That is not encouraging. I subscribe to a joint account, which we will call a project account, but not as in putting all our 100% resources into one pot. Um, it is sometimes subject to abuse. And because of that, it is important that you separate it this way. And so my answer to the question would be yes, but on these terms that I've described, so that at least one can also have freedom of, of their money that they have for some other things that they also want to do, little things for themselves. So that is Thank you, my Papa. response. Thank you very much. You're um, welcome. As women, you know, we need to... <laughs> have a few things that move around so i'm really happy to hear that <laughs> great um another deep question papa mm. should your in-laws step into the marriage when there is a problem should your in-laws step into the marriage when there is a problem um it's a yes and a no um and sometimes maybe that will be my third um, answer but the first thing it, it depends on what is going on it really depends on what is going on and how long it has been going on I mean ideally when you have just gotten married um, challenges will come it doesn't mean you are not of God it doesn't mean the relationship is not of God it simply means you are being real to each other and so you begin to see the flaws in one another. You begin to see the weaknesses of one another. And that is what you need to now start getting married to. 
Um, and so that's what we need to solve. So there will be challenges and there will be issues to be dealt with. So we can't just have some disagreement and immediately uh, the in-laws are marching in. No, they, they are in-laws. Let's keep them in the law side uh, and let's make sure that the team must get to a point where we need a law, then we bring them in. But I think, uh, you know, of course, threatening to shoot me, uh, that, that, that is unacceptable. Uh, that in that case, you know, I have to let either my pastor get to know about it, the one who counseled us get to know about it, and then when it's becoming unbecoming, that's when we, we get to inform in-laws so that in-laws um, will use their influence. The reason why we don't consult in-laws at first instance is because of the principle of blood is thicker than water and the, the tendency that even when they come in with good intentions, the other half who may be the offender may immediately think they are coming to take sides. So even their good counsel is rejected and sometimes you don't want to mar the relationship at that early age at that early stage of the marriage because they are people you should be, you know, having some diplomatic relations with and having respect for them. So if they come in too quickly, sometimes they may lose face, as we say, and probably something will be said that shouldn't be said. So much as there is that impulse as a parent to say, it's my daughter, it's my son, try and control yourself in law, stay back a little bit, let them deal with the issue. If they have issues, as Jesus said, if they have issues that is beyond them, let them take it to the one who counseled them or to their pastor and then let him handle the thing. If it is not, then we can find a way to bring you in at the right time. Um, and like I said, it all depends on exactly what is going on. But things that are normal in a marriage uh, shouldn't be spilling over too quickly uh, to the in-laws because it's, it's natural. We want to defend our own. We want to protect some really come in with very good intentions, but it's sometimes their good intentions may be accompanied with wrong method. And that may mar the relationship forever because they step in too quickly and maybe didn't use the right approach. And as a result of that, the other pe person becomes so offended that in future it's not even opening the home again. Even for a visit, it's closed, you know, and that, that disturbs the whole marriage for a very long time. So uh, in-laws... Uh, just like special forces, let's stay back a little bit until the ground is clear and it is very, very necessary that we come in and in the beginning, build a relationship with both of them so that when it comes to that point where you come in, you are not coming as a stranger, someone that I just came to ask the hand of your daughter in marriage and that's the only time I've related with you and it's just that. But we build a deep relationship so that even you know, it, it will not even be, for instance, it will not be the man reporting to his mother. It will actually be even his wife who has actually built so much relationship with the mother that could actually, you know, drop the information to say, this is what your son has been doing. And I think, you know, and that is, that is healthy. In that way, when she comes in from that perspective, it is more of coming to solve a problem rather than coming to take a side. Yeah. So that, that will be my, my counsel. Thank you, Papa. So, um, they are the last resort, essentially. Yes, yes. Thank you. It, it just depends on what is going on. Going yeah, of course. But if it's a threat to life, at least, it's, it's important to let them know. Okay. Yes. If there's a threat to life, then they have to know. You know, sometimes you watch it one or two. But of course, if you seek counsel, um, who you seek counsel with will be able to tell you, I think you have to let your father know. Okay. You know, and maybe based on their influence, they will be able to, to come in from that perspective. Uh, sometimes there's that positive side 
of especially the family structure that God made, you know, where families are related because sometimes the parents can talk behind the scenes and deal with the issue, you know, but it all depends on what exactly is going on. So as you are not seen as running quickly to go and say something because the other person gets offended. But that's why it's always good to at least your counselor gets to know or your, your, your pastor gets to know. Based on his counsel, he'll be able to know this one, let your parents know. You know. So at, it could be at that early age uh, or early stage of the marriage and that could be done. But it all depends on exactly what is going on. Yeah, but little things like I can't find my socks and my food, those things we can we cannot be, you know. Uh, Thank you, Papa. You're welcome. <laughs> right. Okay. So if you have just joined us, uh, we are in our Get Understanding session. And um, today we are talking about family marriages and relationships. So we'll be moving across from family to marriages to relationships so that everyone gets an answer to their questions. So my next one, Papa, it's on relationships. <laughs> it's for us young ones, you know. I'm sure it's a protonized <laughs> question. When in a relationship, how do you know what's, how do you know that this is your divinely appointed wife or husband? <laughs> Is there anything like a husband and a wife who has been divinely appointed? And how do you know that this is the one that you have found? Mm. This is a very tough question. The Lord be my helper. Amen. How do you know whether that one is your divinely appointed one? Um, it's not a very straightforward um, yes and no direction or, you know, like a hard and fast rule to say, when you see A, B, C, D, that is your divinely appointed one. There are some people, based on their work with God and their relationship with God, God is able to reveal to them who they are going to marry. And that is confirmed, you know, so there's, there's that divine confirmation around it. So there's that. It's very clear. It's so explicit. It's so clear that this is the one. So that one, we can describe that as one that God has actually ordained. There are others to you, you don't know. You, you don't get to know as in I heard God, but you had a feeling, you know, and you feel it's this one. Um, and then you are able to test it by reason of what's, you know, what are you looking for in, in the other person? What is it that you, you desire to find? Uh, is it commitment to God, service to God, um, certain manners, certain behaviors? Um, so that is there. Sometimes it is in the course of the relationship that you are able to find, oh, it was this person that God actually, I feel is God, and ultimately it came to pass. It's that, but not many people really get it from day one to say, this God showed me is this person, you know. So um, we have to just be careful of the God said things, you know. Over the several years that I've passed it, I've seen people come and say, God told them is this person. Later on, it's not that person. You know, so it's, it becomes some way when we start saying, is this my divinely appointed person? Sometimes they are there. Um, God has a way of arranging things. There are some people who even get to know the calling of God on their lives based on their starting to serve. You know, it didn't start from the moment you became born again, uh, like, like the apostle Paul's own. You know, he, the Lord Jesus met him on his way to Damascus. He fell down. The Lord told him to go to the city. He'll be told what to do. 
Ananas was asked to go and see him. And then he was told, Ananas was told the things that God said, this man will suffer for my name's sake, but he will preach the gospel before kings. So for his own, right from being born again, he got to know what his calling was. But in many instances, some of us, we served. And in the cross of serving, you know, you had encounters with God. And then it is confirmed by your pastors, etc., as to what is going on. So sometimes in the case of relationships, yes, we all believe in that there is someone God has prepared for us. Our primary start-off point will be praying for such a person, praying that God brings such a person my way. God revealed this person to me. And God has many ways of doing it. Sometimes you see someone, you haven't heard anything. You, you don't hear anything, but you feel you are in love with this person. And then, you know, relationships start and gradually you find out that it's the person. Some too, you realize that this is the God-ordained person and it didn't start off in a way like, you know, you see an angel coming to you. like quarreling with this person all the way until you find out that you are in love, you know. And sometimes the first time you even saw the person, you don't like his presence at all or her presence. And later on, it turns out that is a person. So if we stick to, I will hear a voice or see an angel, um, we, we may not marry. So, but there is such occasions where there is that divinely appointed person which will be revealed. So that's where you can be very sure that one God revealed to me. And those ones will be confirmed. It can't just be you alone. The person too will have their own confirmations in many, many ways. Um, so I think that that is the way um, to pick those ones out. Um, otherwise, God will have to speak. But when it's not speaking clearly the way you want him to speak to you, of course, you find someone that he should be in love. If it's not the person, that's why you continue to pray. You know, even when you have even not heard God, but you feel and you start off even in a relationship, however premature, which, of course, there are procedures to follow if you want to really get it right too. Um, but even in the process, you should still be praying until you get to the altar. You should still be praying, Father, is this the person? If not, reveal to me or create circumstances by which we will part ways, you know, and things like that so that you can be saving yourself. Um, so I believe that that will be one of the best ways of getting to know this divinely um, appointed <laughs> spouse to be. Uh, yes. Thank you, Papa. So not everyone will have a divinely appointed wife or husband. Revealed. Revealed to them. Prior, that in yeah. all things, it is possible. keep praying exactly. for God to show us the right way and the right person. Yes. Okay. Some will even go as far as getting married. And later on, then they will understand some things to say, okay, so this is God's plan for me. You know, so some, it may come early, others, you feel you are all in love and you can tell you are in love and you didn't hear anything from heaven, but there's a feeling within you and you feel you are for each other and it, it, it goes on there. You know, sometimes also you subject it to um, very matured ears that hear God and could feel things and could investigate one or two things and could tell you they have no vested interest, you know, so they are the ones who can give proper counsel and guidance. Um, I know most of the protons are smiling. Because they, they hide things and they feel, I will say no. The fear that I will say no. Uh, sometimes the no is in your interest. Uh, if I say no, then it's in your interest. Uh, so don't be afraid to, to come forward. Uh, don't be going out. Come in. <laughs> Thank you, Papa. <laughs> don't hide things. Um, it's in your own interest. Amen. 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 So now we found someone that we love. Mm whether divinely appointed and revealed to us or not. Mm. How should we express our love for each other in a premarital relationship? 
Okay, this question has come again. I think last week it was posed. Maybe I just, I danced around it. So they wanted to come back again. Yes, okay. Yes, indeed. Um, we, when we find someone we, we love, we don't just jump the next day to get married. We have to get to know each other. But we must bear in mind that we are first, I'm talking about Christian premarital relationship. We are not copying the world. That should be the fundamental approach. That should be the basis, the structure, and the foundation of any relationship. The Bible says we are in this world, but we are not of the world. So we don't play by worldly rules. We play by heavenly rules, by God's kingdom rules. So the reason why sometimes when it comes to premarital relationship and there's so much carefulness and what, it's all just to prevent you from sinning. Now, the moment we are in love and we will be in relationship, there is a great chance that we may sin sexually. There's that temptation very strongly there. And that is what we need to safeguard. So in expressing our love for each other, um, we need to maintain some uh, careful barriers so that it doesn't move on to the point where in the expressing of our love for each other prior to getting married, we, we end off you know, emotionally being taken over and then we start sinning. And that is where the danger lies. We must still bear in mind that our relationship must be pure and holy before God. And then we have certain standards that we've set for ourselves. So for instance, in Christ Church, when you come and say, we are coming in, we are coming in, Bishop, we now want to come in. You'll be giving some forms, premarital counseling forms. And it asks certain questions uh, around that. What are the standards you have actually agreed on? You know, it's, we intentionally ask that question just to see how you respond and then we guide you also in it. So having said this as the basic structure and foundation, we can now build on it to learn to express love to one another. Um, and bear in mind, this love we are expressing is not the worldly love. So no sex, that, you have to bear that in mind. Get that very clear. Because bear in mind, Jesus can come at any time when your marriage hasn't taken place. And you must be preparing to meet him in heaven as well. So righteousness and holiness must be the foundation of the relationship. And sometimes this, the temptation to sin also comes in because you, you don't fully understand the background of your family itself. There are certain things that will attack you the moment sin comes in. It opens the door for certain cases that are operating in the family already. Now you became born again. You are righteous in the sight of God. You have not been sinning. So there's that defense. But then the moment you start letting it down because you now found someone and as a result of that someone, it became very easy for you to be tempted and easily fall into sin. It opens doors spiritually for the enemy to attack. And sometimes some of those relationships never end in marriage. Sometimes so many terrible things go on in it and, and it doesn't end well. So you also bear that in mind that spiritually you need to be very, very right in the sight of God. Having built on this, we can do so many other things to actually demonstrate to each other that we can be responsible to, to each other when we get married. You know, so you can start off with those basic things, those gifts, gifts. If you don't know how to give gifts in the relationship, I don't know how you are going to give it when you get married. So you must be a giver. Both of you must be givers. But brothers, you must be givers. More givers. Give attention to each other. Brothers, you have to learn how to love a woman is to give her attention. 
So make sure you're giving her attention. You're hearing her when she's talking. Take your eyes off the phone when she's talking and engage her, bearing in mind the standards. So don't be alone in some secluded places. Temptation will easily come. You know, so you feel like embracing and you start embracing the chemistry runs in such a way that we can't control the reaction. And then the end point can't be found and we create problems for ourselves. So we don't want that, but at least you can show affection to each other through gifts, um, giving attention to one another, being there if the other person is not well, etc. These are all ways by which you show love, you know, buying gifts, writing how you feel and sending it to the person is, is also one of the nice ways of actually expressing love. So we can do all the things that we do, especially in expressing love, but because we are Christians, we know that we've got a certain barrier that we won't cross until our marriage is blessed at the altar and God is brought in to actually give us the license to enjoy all the other things that he has actually created. So yes, we can go out together. We can go and watch some movies and we can also do evangelism together. <laughs> Amen. Amen. <laughs> Seek ye first the kingdom of God. <laughs> Amen. 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 So thank you, Papa. You're so um, to my fellow young ones, <laughs> there are so many ways to show affection, but you must remember that the relationship must remain pure and holy yes. before the Lord. And you have barriers that you don't cross. And Papa has given us one non-negotiable barrier. Mm. No premarital sex. Mm. Amen. 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 So, um, we've had um, relationships. Hey, you can't be kissing too. You can't be kissing. <laughs> I was trying to avoid that coming. You can't be kissing yeah. too. That, Papa, um, yeah. okay, we'll, come, we'll come back we'll to come, that yeah, one. Yeah. We'll come back to that The Bible one. says flee every appearance of evil. So, you, you know... I would say flee. Because all those little things can start something. And then it starts, you, you can't return. So, yes. Hold on, hold on. The Bible says love is patient. Uh, if you can't wait to be married, you are dangerous. Wait. Patience, patience. The time will come. Work hard and quickly get. But the Bible says if, if you can't control yourself, get married. So you can come. We can bless your marriage tomorrow. <laughs> but after you get married... You must still maintain that same self-control. You see, that's the thing. You know, marriage is not a cure for sexual immorality. Uh, otherwise, the word adultery will not exist. So at least it is preparation. So that when you get married, you're not going to have sex every day for the rest of you. There are circumstances and so many things that you are not able. Or you travel or one person goes on a, on a work trip. So what are you going to do? So you can't control yourself? No. So you start self-control well before we get there. Okay, let me not <laughs> preach tonight. Thank you, Papa. We'll, we'll come back to that um, yes. when we have time. Um, so, please, I'm moving on to some questions about family. Okay. The first one is, how do you help a child to become all that God wants them to be? How do you help a child to become all that God wants them to be? Okay. There is a... There's a very serious responsibility placed on parents, which, of course, um, the church should be teaching strongly on that. It's one of the things why I organize parents rallies. And I, I believe that with what is going on globally now, maybe we will use this same medium to have some form of parents rally and parents seminars on, on this platform. 
Um, but I believe that every parent must be prophetic. Because I, I believe that that is how God actually made the parent to be. To be an extension of himself. And he passes children through us so we can be responsible for them on behalf of God. If that understanding is clear, then we can actually be checking with God. How do I handle this one? Just like Samson's parents. And so the first starting point is prayer. Seeking God. You know, it's, it's one thing to ask the Lord, we want children in our marriage. Yes, they come. But Lord, each of them is unique. And each of them has a particular assignment from God. And I've found out in the scriptures that a parent who is very spiritual will be able to pick from God what is the assignment of these ones. That is how you'll be able to help them. Otherwise, you will clone them and they will become robots, you know, of, of yourself or what you want them to be. But just like Rebecca, she sought God. And I think it is time that parents become spiritual and deliberate in their asking from God, who is this one in this house? Who is this baby girl you have given to us? Who is this baby boy you have given to us? Who is he? What is he supposed to do? Samson's parents check with God. They had been barren for many years and God came through to the woman and he came straight away with set of instructions of what the boy must observe. Uh, and then what the mother too must observe. And then the father prayed to say, I wasn't there when the angel came. Can you send the angel again? And he says to God that, send the angel again. I just want to know how I should order this child. And God responded by the next day, sent an angel. Which is very, very strange that somebody says, I want to see an angel. Not for fun, but I want to know this child you have told us about. How do we order his life? I mean, next door neighbors have got children. So we could have gone to them. But I want to know what is your plan for him. And God was interested in that. And he came and provided an answer. So that they can guide him. It is when he grew up and around 40 years, you know, before he could actually even disclose that to Delilah upon pressure, upon pressure. But that means they did their homework. Um, same thing with Rebecca. She, she got right from God. These two children who, are, who were in her womb, who they were going to be. And God revealed to her that the younger will be greater than the, than the older. And so even when the father was about to make a mistake, uh, in putting the blessing on the older one, mom moved in swiftly to ensure that at least he guided the young one to become what God planned for him to have. You know, so you could see the same thing playing out even in Jacob's life. He knew what his children were supposed to be. And in chapter 50, before he departed, he actually prophesied into each of their lives what they were supposed to become. And so I believe that right through the scriptures, we can see God's plan for children. And I believe that when parents begin to seek God, he will speak. Sometimes we feel, how am I going to hear him? He has many ways of speaking. You know, and sometimes we need to observe the child as they grow as well. As we pray for them and we observe them, sometimes certain traits about their future, you know, becomes very obvious of what they are going to become. Um, I remember I had to um, meet someone um, not too long ago um, over child counseling issues and um, she was sharing with me um, about the career pathway for her children and um, and she was saying that you know this is a white lady and she said that right from you know when these children were born 
you know, one of them just behaves like very, very meticulous, detailed, you know, as little as she is when you say she's the second one. The first one was a boy. You know, the boy just likes to bring some things and want to invent things and do things like that. And it's like, but what is this? You know, so try to stay over. Gradually, the boy's mind is always on designing rockets and trying to fire things and, and things like that. And, but for the girl, she's so meticulous. You know, when you send her, she asks for details. And sometimes she even becomes a spokesperson for the older brother, you know, in terms of negotiations and things. And that they saw at early age. You know, first of all, she's, she's, a, she's a career guidance counselor, you know, that, that, the woman who is talking to me now. And uh, she said that her daughter has become a lawyer, you know, and, um, and, and she's actually into company law. You know, and the and the gentleman they forced him into into banking and things. He stopped all. He didn't go to you know. He just so he attended university for a long time, but keep on changing courses mm -hmm. until finally he wanted to do design. You know, so they went. They looked back, and the husband was telling her that you see this thing was there from the beginning. So she has picked on that wealth of experience to see that she's worked with so many children and could see that sometimes parents could just watch the child. You will see something about their future. If you are spiritual enough, you add that in prayer. So we guide them to become what God wants them to be because they may not all become doctors like us, but we want to actually live our lives through them. So sometimes we're forcing them into, into the medical pathways because we have been in medicine. Sometimes we want them to be architects because we were architects, but sometimes they may not. And when we start seeing the sign, prayerfully, we can be guiding them and leading them there. Some of them may not need a university education. They may do that later on, probably to specialize in something. But they may go into an apprenticeship pathway and actually lead them. But because we have all become this, you know, white-collar-minded until university, no future, we keep on bottling them in places where they shouldn't be. And sometimes we have not even checked with God. So parents have to be very sensitive. And thank God you are born again. You have got the Holy Spirit in you. I tell you, the reason why God gave you that child, there is a reason. And you are supposed to play the key role in actually mentoring them in that right direction. So every parent is supposed to be a mentor. But you must check with God. And when you get a clear picture of where they want to go, please encourage them. Encourage them. What we have, you know, we have put a certain mindset to say, unless they go this way, they will never amount to anything. It's a wrong mindset. Um, so, and when you find anything, be there to encourage them, lead them, show them the way, give them exposure. Take them on holidays where they will see the things that you, f you are seeing in them. Sometimes it doesn't need to be expensive. It could just be around, maybe a museum. If you are looking at a child who is seeing all these things, he wants to be an astronaut, take him to places where we can find so many things about astronauts and let them look at it. Let their mind dream. You know, and be there. You are the coach to start with before they start talking to others outside. There's so much I can say on that, but I, I believe that I have answered the question the way. If I didn't answer it properly, please follow it up with a question. I think you have, Papa. Thank you very much. So you if you're a parent and you just joined, uh, what Papa told us was that you have to be prophetic. You have yeah. to be prayerful. Yeah. And as you are praying, you also need to keep your eyes on the child or your children because each of them has a different path. They are not supposed to be clones of us and they are not supposed to do the things that we want them to do, but they have each, each and every one of them has a special assignment from God. Mm -hmm. 
And if you are not a parent yet, don't think that this is just for parents. Let's not make the mistakes that our parents made. Mm. Um, as we are growing, when you have children, start early yeah. and pray for them. Mm. Amen. 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 So I have um, another question um, related to children, Papa, mm. again. Okay. So it says, when should parents bring up their children in the Lord? When do we start? <laughs> in the womb. <laughs> as soon as they are in the womb, uh, father, start laying hands on your wife's tummy and start pre praying for the baby in that they hear you. Speak into that they hear. When they come around, they get used to prayer. Uh, Mom, put your hands on the tummy and keep on speaking life into them. Read the word of God. Play the audio of the word in the house, in the environment as they grow. So we, we start them right from the womb before they come out. And when they come out too, yes, we know that there are certain times we cannot engage them with, in conversation. But we've been speaking to them, even though we know they won't speak back to us. Right from when they came from day one, we talk to them. We look at them say, look at your eyes, look at your nose, look at your face. We've been saying those things to them. Yes, so add, add, add Matthew chapter 5 to it and, and quote it, quote Psalm 23, quote the word of God. Above all, in the quietness of the home. You know, sometimes just play the word. We've got so many versions of the scriptures on Bible, audio, Bible. Play it softly sometimes as they sleep. Let them sleep with that. Let them wake up with that. Let them sleep with gospel music. Let them wake up with that. Gradually, it stays in their spirit. You know, if you've been, um, if you've seen, for instance, our brothers, the Muslims. As soon as a child is born, the, the, the imam comes into the, into the ward. And, and speaks and, and says their, their word, you know, they, they speak the shahada into the child's ears, you know, and, and say that, you know, uh, there's only one God and that is Allah and Muhammad is his messenger. They speak that right from day one. They speak it into the ears of the child directly. He will just open the ears and speak that into the ears of the child. That's a very interesting thing. But if you observe them, when this thing has been put in there from day one and they keep putting it there, have you seen how hard it is to win a Muslim over to Christianity? It's been there. It's ingrained from the beginning. So let's start them off from the beginning. And in fact, God gave us the structure. In Deuteronomy 5, I think, it says that when you go out of the house, talk about the word of God with your children. When you come back in, talk about the word. Put it in the frontless of the house. Write it and put it on the anklets in your hands. You know, just like some of the wristbands that we have. It says the word of God should be all over the place. So, Every parent is an educational institution. And so you must have a curriculum. And so you develop the child socially so that he learns to say hello, please, hi, you do that. Then you also develop the child spiritually. So you must have a structure of developing the child spiritually. At a certain age, they should be memorizing some scriptures. At a certain age. So we are not just taking them to church so that they can be kept whilst we listen to the word. But we too, we are playing our role in putting the word of God in them. Read the word with them. Just like you read their uh, books with them to develop their diction. In the same way, read the Bible with them. Gradually, it will become part of them. Sometimes some may appear rebellious, but I'm telling you, the word of God is a powerful seed. It will, it will germinate one day and something will happen to them. They may look rebellious as they are growing, but a seed has been planted in them. So parents, don't be tired sowing this seed. So right from the beginning, start sowing the seed into them. 
start bringing them up in the admonition and fear of the Lord. So you teach them about the Lord. Who is this Lord? Who is this God? Talk to them about Jesus. Buy children's Bible. Read it with them. Get videos, um, you know, that talks about the heroes in the Bible, the Bible itself, and watch it with them. Find time. Watch it with them. At that early age, they grow with it. As they grow, we keep on changing it into mature themes as we go along. So they are, they are feeding on the milk of the word, and then gradually we start showing them, you know, the eschatology and all the other logics. But for now, let's take them one step after the other. Let them know all the stories in the Bible. Let them memorize at least a scripture a day, you know, or a week. At least help them. But let Christ be infused in them. So that when they are left alone, looking at the technology we have around, they should not just veer off into all the other superheroes when they go online, but they should also at a point be able to go on YouTube and want to listen to a message that Bishop preached, that they want to listen to a church service, that they want to watch a youth program, that they want to watch something for children. You know, that should be part of them. And that, those are signs that the seed you are sowing is actually bearing fruit. You know, occasionally you can be driving with them and just quiz them. You know, what does the Bible say? What's the fifth commandment? What is that? You know, what is Romans 6, 23? Just simple scriptures to start with, depending on their ages. You know, and then gradually as they come up, seven, eight, nine, we keep differentiating and changing it and gradually start talking ministry with them and service, depending on what you do as a parent in the house of God. That's also very important. Morning devotions, let them be part of it. Whether they are sleepy or not, drag them. One day they'll remember you for that. Pull them in. They'll be sleepy and dozing over. Pull them in. Gradually to become part of them. If you keep on trying to not worry them, they'll grow and not know how to organize a morning devotion for themselves. They won't know how to do it. But let's get them in gradually. It will be part of, part of them. Amen. Thank Amen. you, Papa. You're welcome. So um, it's never too early to start. Start yes. from the womb. Surround the children with the word of God mm -hmm. so that we can infuse, you know, dip them yeah. from head to toe. Yeah. Amen. 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 I hope you are being blessed. If you are being blessed, can I see an amen um, online, on Facebook and on YouTube? Amen. 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 Um, we are moving on, Papa. Yes. So, um, the next question, mm. it says, is it true that if you are divorced from your partner, mm. um, I would say husband or wife, because last week you told us <laughs> you didn't like partner. <laughs> so, is it true that if you are divorced from your partner, that you will still be married to that person in God's eyes? Yes. It's a serious scripture that Jesus taught us. Um, I mean, after I preached that on Sunday, um, from, from the account we read in, I think it's in Mark and, and Luke as well, where Jesus said that if, um, you have heard it say that you should not, um, when, when you put away your wives, you should give them a certificate of divorce. Uh, then he says, but I say to you that except for the cause of sexual immorality, um, any other reason for which you put away your wife, that means that she's still married. And that's, when she gets married to someone else, then she's committing adultery because she's still married. Now, it's a very hard scripture. But ladies and gentlemen, it is true. <laughs> uh, I find it difficult to tell you it's true, but it's true. Because 
I have read every commentary around it. I wish that it was a parable. It was not a parable. You know, we've looked around it. I have read it. In fact, when we finish on Sunday, even my wife, we went, you know, in the evening again, she, she just, you know, cornered me in the room and said, let's go over that thing again. <laughs> what did you say? I said, yes, yeah, she, she has me reading it. But then, you know, it's like, you don't see it that way until you read it again. And you realize that he wasn't joking. But the reality is that in all the commentaries around it, in all the scholarly and, and, and you know, spiritual understanding of that scripture, drives home one point, how God views marriage with a serious eye. That is not something to just walk off. You know, this question was not the only question. The other time he was asked a similar question and he said that Moses, because of the hardness of your father's heart, permitted you to do that. But from the beginning, it was not so. Again, he was stressing that divorce was not the plan of God. You know, so it's just because, you see, we are living in an age where we don't stress certain serious things. If it's any other religion and they are told this, you see how they will take it. But Christianity, we take some liberties and take things for granted. So marriage is not a very easy thing to, to enter into. Uh, but from, from that scripture, this is Jesus Christ speaking. And he meant what he's saying there. In fact, when you read it in context, you see that exactly as it is. And that makes it very serious because it begs the question that if I'm being abused in the relationship, what should I do? I believe that, for instance, the issues of abuse and threat of death, um, God will judge it in his own way. In, in, there are certain cases he judges them on, on their merit. But the general instruction is that we, we, should be, we should be careful when we get married and make sure that we stay in it. But of course, I will not also encourage that someone is being abused you know, physically uh, to the point of death and all of that and say, stay in. We will advise a separation. Let's see what is going on there. Is the guy having mental problems or whatever is the issue? Uh, but then if it goes on, if, if people have to break because there's a threat of death, then there was not love in the first place. You know, so in that case, then that was not love. Uh, and I believe that every case has got the way God who judges the heart will know how to handle it. But I believe that from that scripture, the general picture there shows that when you are married in the sight of God, you are married. And except for the cause of adultery, there should be no grounds for divorce. It's very hard, but that's the Bible. Unless we can take that one out of the Bible. It's, we, we cannot put some words into Jesus' mouth to, to meet what we want. The other thing is that we have also become too much of a fast food world where it's like, I can't get along with you, then I dump you. You know, there's too much of that going on. But God has a sacred purpose for marriage. And we have to realize that the, it is the first institution he established before the church. So that's how he takes it so seriously. And you write, write through the scriptures, one of the institutions that have received a lot of instructions is the marriage institution. And again, the abuse, you know, that's why he brings sexual sins, so many things, adultery, he frowns on it. And he even said it clearly as part of the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. They say you shall not covet your neighbor's husband, your neighbor's wife, you know, things that, why is he saying that? Then Jesus comes in and tells us that um, the, the relationship between God and us is like the marriage institution. Then Paul wrote and said that husbands should love their wives just like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Then he says wives should submit to their husbands and respect their husbands. Then he goes on to conclude and says, I am saying all these things because I'm presenting to you the mystery that exists between Christ and his glorious church. 
Then we are told there will be a marriage supper of the Lamb. So it tells you that this whole marriage thing actually is a representation of the relationship between God and us. And that is why he doesn't take it lightly that if we are married to him, in fact, he told Hosea or one of the old prophets that tell my people that they have committed adultery by worshipping other gods and forsaking me. Now, in what relationship do we have jealousy? Is it not in marital relationship where I become jealous because some man is trying to woo my wife? God then says, of all the commandments he gave us, he says, I'm a jealous God. And he brought in that jealousy in respect to you shall have no other gods before me. So you see that he, he, God's relationship with us is, is a marital relationship. So he doesn't want us to mess about with it. Anything that, he, that looks like his relationship with us, he doesn't like it to be messed about. And Moses tried to mess about something like that concerning the rock. And he called him home. You know, so we don't touch it. There's too much um, relaxation about things in, in, the, in the house of God, in the body of Christ, in terms of discipline and fear of God. Any little thing, oh, you can just pack out. Any little thing, I'm just leaving. Any little thing, you know, just we, we're just doing things as if it's the world. But when we are dealing with God, we have to be careful. Amen. Amen. So um, the truth, they say, is a bitter pill to swallow. Yes, Amma, um, it is. But the truth is that God looks on marriage with a very serious eye. Mm. Amen. Amen. So I'll add uh, another question that's almost like an add-on to this one. Yes. It says that what does the Bible then say about remarriage? Hmm. <laughs> um, well, the first, the first thing that releases you to get remarried is if the other person passes away. Um, Abraham remarried he married Keturah after the death of Sarah um, and so right through the scriptures we see uh, things like that um, so um, I believe that the, the starting point because in the marriage in the sight of God till death do us part so it is when death occurs that the marriage is broken and so we we have the right to 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 remarry if you so wish um, and 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 then also like I said, the circumstance, you know, if it is threat of life and things like that, that's going for a long time and people have to separate. God is the one who will judge the heart. You know, that, that will be the case. Uh, I know certain churches are so strict on it that they will not encourage any remarriage. Um, others too, but I found that to be hypocritical. Uh, they said if you are divorced, um, they will not bless your marriage in the main cathedral. You can go and hide any other place and they will still come. I say, what is the hypocrisy? If you want to stand for one thing, then stand for it. You know, but I believe that there are circumstances that may free the other person. And, and all this will be judged by God himself. You know, so I believe that that shouldn't stop anybody from remarrying. Um, I believe that if the circumstance for your divorce um, in the sight of God, it may not meet, it's not a case of adultery or anything, but if it is a threat to your life, so many other things, and how the marriage was even contracted in the first place. These are all circumstances. Some people, theirs didn't go before God, you know, so if they are walking away, they could walk away, you know. So all those things are also uh, things that one can look at um, and, and, and then get remarried, and, and we leave that to the judgment of God. Yeah, because some, some of them will be very hard to police, 
you know, or to come in to say, no, you can't marry because of this, you know. So uh, it, it becomes a very dicey thing, but it's a, it's a difficult, I think one other occasion, Jesus answered a question similar to that. And the disciples said, if that is the case of a man with a woman, then it is better not to marry. You know, they said that. That means that Jesus was very hard on, on these things. So I believe that um, if people want to remarry, uh, they could. But God will be the final person to judge. <laughs> I'm sure follow-up questions are coming. Yes, I've seen, <laughs> I've seen a few coming in. But before we go there, I mm. just want to ask this one and then we'll go back. Yeah. Um, the question says, hello, Bishop. Yes. Um, sometimes in the course of my business, mm. I come across men who see me and pass comments like, a beautiful woman like you, if I get to marry you, I'll keep you at home and not let you work. Mm. I'll put you at home and look after you. I find it offensive, sir. What's your take on this type of mindset of certain men? Okay. It's, a, it's something that goes on, uh, but it's, she's, she's, she's right. Um, you know, it, it's a very sad state of affairs and a sad, sad state of mind of certain men. It tells you what is in the mind of the upbringing of certain men. That, you know, for instance, if, if a man uses the word, you know, see a lady who is hardworking, she's running a business, etc., to say, oh, a beautiful lady like you, like you, if I have you as a wife, I'll keep you at home. I'll take care of you. You just stay at home. You know, for some, it may sound like a compliment, but it's not. It's actually seeing a woman like a trophy that have to be kept at home. And I don't understand why a man should think that way. And as a woman, don't accept that mindset. Sadly, it is a mentality of some of our African men who think that a woman should be kept as a trophy at home. I mean, you have to ask yourself, what do you want to gain? Is this, is this your dream? To have a beautiful lady, somebody's daughter. He has invested in her, took her to school, educated her, etc. And you want to leave her as a potato on a couch. That's what excites you as a man. Can't you bring the best out of this lady? That she can be independent and work and be productive and be herself the way God wants her to be? When did this thing arrive that she just have to stay at home? Is that what excites you? No. I believe that every man should be able to bring the best out of every woman God gives to you. So that negative, I think the lady who asked this question has a right um, principle. Of life to take offense some ladies would think that's a good that's my dream my dream is just to be a housewife and stay home sister you are greater than a housewife you are greater than a housewife there are powerful things in you you can also run a bank you can also run a business you can also do some great things where did this mindset come from critically I want to speak to every lady and every gentleman listening to me Go home tonight and critically look at Proverbs 31 and see whether you see that kind of woman that you want to keep at home as a trophy. Just keep her at home. So she just tied these things and then you go, come back and just do what? She just gives you food and you have sex with her. That's all. That's why you want to keep her at home. She can do all those things for you and still be herself. She should be able to go out. She should be able to meet her friends. She should be able to car carry on with her career. She should be able to develop gifts and talents and abilities. In her. You must create that platform. 
If you have what it takes to keep it at home, use it to sponsor her to run something. And I believe that that, that mindset must shift. It's a wrong mindset. It, it, keeps, it makes some men see women only as sex objects and trophies to be kept at home. But that's not the reason why God created them. They have more than that. They carry more potential than that. It is Adam's duty to nurture what was given to him, to till it and to grow what is inside it and bring out the best that can come out of her. So that is what I would say. I think she's right. And I believe that men, especially African men, should disabuse their mind of this mindset of wanting to keep a woman as a trophy. And sister, don't also look forward to just be a housewife. Just stay there. It's good to work. It's, it's a lot of work at home, but is that, is that the best in you? Is that what you want to become? Is that your dream from day one? What did you want to become? What were you dreaming of? I know marriage can restrict us, but there are many things we can do. You want to run that course? A man should be able to encourage you to run that course, to be able to go to school, add value to yourself, to become that banker, to become that you know, accountant, whatever you want to become. And at the same time, be skillful at balancing it. You know, I love that woman, the, the new um, EU head, you know, Van something. She's got a very wonderful German name. She's got seven children. She's a Christian. Solidly married. And I tell you, she has read medicine, finished it. Actually, she started off with London School of Economics and had her master's in economics and then felt, I can do medicine. Went on and studied medicine. Finished, completed that one. Still married, giving birth to seven children, running EU, running, became German defense minister. She's all around. That's my type of lady. And the husband is encouraging her. And their marriage is not in tatters. See EU negotiating with UK. These two countries, they are tough. And she's now head of EU. And she's still managing. And the children are not old. She's still got a seven-year-old. Can you imagine? That's what I'm talking about. You saw the Supreme Court judge that our brother Donald Trump put in office a few days ago. Yeah. She's also got children. Active. She's 48 or 49. Yes. You know, the, but she's a career woman. She's still managing a home and husbanding a wife, um, husbanding a man, and, 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 and running. You see, she's not been locked in a home. There are great things in you. Dream big, and may God give you men whose hearts and minds are inclined to the will and counsel of God to understand why God gave him the woman. Amen. Okay. Amen. Amen. I have a follow-up question. <laughs> yes, right yes. So, um, what would you say to someone who says that mm. um, when you look into the lives of these powerful women, mm. you find that a lot of them, for a lot of them, it's very hard to balance properly their, their careers and their children. So, mm. you'd look and you probably find a lot of them have nannies and things like that to look after their children. Yes. So, if someone then decides that my children are very important to me, mm. they are my the things that God has given me to steward. So I'd rather stay at home yes. and spend, focus my attention and time on bringing them up rather than getting into the rat race, as someone will call it. Mm. How does that work? So that person is at home, yes, yes, but it's helping to look after the children. Yes. And might not necessarily 
be fully um, employed, mm. but could also be doing a little something on the side as well. Yes. Yes. Okay, let me clarify my, my earlier response. What I meant was the motive. You know, so why do you want to stay at home? If we clearly define it, that's fine. So that's totally different from a man who just sees a woman and think, oh, I think I'll need you at home. You know, just stay home and I'll take care of you. You know, that, that, that bit then reduces a woman to, oh, okay, so your mindset of woman is anything that should be taken off the streets and kept at home, you know, and limited in any way that she can go. But if there is that mutual agreement that for the sake of the upbringing of the children, I will stay home and there's that reason that's different that's allowed you know but it shouldn't be just that because you are a woman stay home you know but it should be that looking at what we currently have and looking at the children i think that you know what sacrifice this aspect of your life in managing them for now and then maybe when they grow to this age you'll be able to do some other things these arrangements can nicely take place in a marriage and that can be agreed that's fine what i wanted to remove was the mindset of actually saying, because you're a woman, stay home, you know, and, and I will take care of you, you know. And that sometimes has got um, negative effects because if suddenly you don't have ownership of your life, if anything happens to you and, and, and the Lord had to call you home, uh, the woman is left with nothing. She has not built any career. She hasn't improved herself and she's stuck. Um, there are some churches that have got very good um, uh, missionary um, um, you know, structures like that where the church takes care of everything. So they have a lot of branches. So you are, you are sent. As soon as your husband becomes a pastor, let's say he's sent to maybe Liverpool to go and start a, a church. I think Pastor I won't have to go to Liverpool because his, his team is there. He can win a lot of their players. So you, you go to Liverpool to go and start a church. And when you go in that church, the wives of the pastors don't work. They are supposed to stay home to take care of the children, to support him, etc. so they don't work. But the church doesn't pay them too. You know, so if they've got careers already and then immediately your husband becomes a pastor, you stop everything. But the downside we have seen also in that, it's a good thing, at least in that case, headquarters, church pays salary, the homes you live in, you don't pay, you know, but it's not your home, you know, so you can be moved at any time. Um, but the sad thing is, if anything should happen to the man, either some ill health that incapacitates him or death you are finished you know because you stop your career and if maybe it's the one that you need to be licensing or writing exams every year to renew your license you may be left with nothing you know so that side you know again limits the woman in in many of these areas so um, I believe, you know, sometimes I have engagement with some of their senior pastors. I say, release the women too. Let them do something. But they've got the certain mindset that, yes, yeah, she's supposed to support the, the husband and to take care of the children. Yes, in most cases, we see the children turn out well, so long as there's life and, and things like that, you know. So, uh, yes, there's that arrangement that, that can take place so long as her needs are being met. Just that there, I, anytime I meet their leadership, I'm trying to push to say, why don't you let them do something? You know, okay, then let church pay them because they do a lot of work. It's not only the home. You know, they assist their husband in all the visitation, you know, things like that. They are not, well, they, they don't call them pastors, but they, sometimes they preach, but they don't make women pastors in that church. You know, so again... But that's in their concept, you are supposed to stay at home, take care of the home, 
so that the man can have his peace of mind to focus on the ministry. You know, so, but it, arrangement is the key. Thank you for the clarification. You're welcome. Um, there's a question here. I think you've answered it, but I'll ask it anyway in okay. case you want to add something um, to right. it. The question says, how does sexual sin in marriage nullify the marriage? And can a person who is divorced because the other partner commits adultery marry again? So it's related to that. Okay. Yes, I mean, if we look into the scriptures, we, we see that it, it appears from the scriptures that... Uh, marriage is is uh, contracted when sex takes place and that is why God says that the only grounds for divorce then will be sexual um, immorality and and even in common law you find out that a judge will grant um, a divorce uh, if the argument is made that there has not been intimacy or that the marriage has not been consummated, which is the word that is used. So we got married and we were not coming together intimately. Um, a judge can, can, can actually divorce, bring a divorce proceedings uh, to, to the marriage uh, based on the fact that there has not been a consummation of the marriage. Um, and so right from the beginning, it is a covenant. The Bible says as Adam saw Eve, and then the Bible says and both of them were naked, the man and his wife. You know, so that was his wife. And, and, and throughout the scriptures, we see that that is the reason, that is the pattern. And that's why God talks about sexual immorality. It is a covenant, you know. So sex is not just an act of pleasure, but it is a covenant. That is why there is breaking of, of a covenant and there's a blood flow. It is a covenant. It is more than just physical. It's got to do with the soul as well. So when things like this are in the word of God, and then you see how God immediately frowns on this type of sin. Premarital sin, his, premarital sex is talking about it because like, you are getting married, you are getting married. Okay, so what you are doing, you're already married in the realm of the spirit. You are breaking my law, you know. So in the same way, when people are married and one person commits adultery, it is the most biblical ground to walk away. Except that, you know, you've got the right hand to show forgiveness. So in that case, if you chose to stay, actually you have chosen to forgive and to stay on. But you have every biblical basis to leave the marriage based on that. Because that's the one Jesus also mentioned. Moses talked about it. Every, every throughout the scriptures on marriage and divorce, it's based on that line. Thank you, Papa. You're welcome. Um, so I have three questions here. I'll join them into two. Okay. <laughs> the first one says, is it okay to get married to a man younger than you are? <laughs> To a man younger than you are. Um, marriage is, is, is the heartbeat. Where your heart is beating, oh sister, where your heart is beating. So if it, it all depends. I mean, sometimes I've had conversation with several people, young, old, and maybe they're looking for someone to marry. And most of the time I used to ask them that question, especially the ladies. You know, I asked them, so what are you looking for? You know. Is it, are you looking for someone older than you? Someone of your, old, of your age? Would you consider someone below? And say, okay, one year below, two years below, or 10 years below? So, no, no, 10, no, 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 no. <laughs> so, you can see what they want. I believe that um, you can marry someone younger than you, but it all depends on the age difference. The age difference. Um, so, that is important. And then the maturity of the person. So there are, 
I won't mention names, but they are, they, are, they are very senior men of God whose wives are older than them. Uh, and they are, they are married to them and they, they, are, they are fine. Um, and there are others too that, you know, it's the same age. And some two, two years above, two years beneath. You know, it's always that three, three to two year window, you know, sometimes, you know, plus or minus uh, that window. Others too are fine with five years. Uh, but it, it all depends on the circumstance, who it is, and the maturity level of the person. Of course, I'm not advocating anything between a 15-year-old and a 10-year-old. <laughs> it's not your time. <laughs> yeah, so, but I mean, somebody can be 35 and marry someone 30. It's, it's all right. So long as you feel that you can respect each other. Sometimes the age issue have got to do with respect. You know, because in the end, when we get married, we must be valued and we must respect each other. Uh, sometimes when the age gap is too big, you feel like you can't have certain conversation with this person because that person cannot reason at a certain level. Or sometimes you just, you are a child, you know. So if the man is not disciplined, he may say that to a woman who is far, far younger and, and, and therefore will not be respecting your opinion. And, and, and shut it down whereas actually you are a wife now and no matter how the age difference is sometimes your counsel as a wife is the right one but if he's not properly matured he can ignore it and make the woman feel inferior in the home and treat her sometimes as if it's one of the children you know so but when it's also on the other way around sometimes women feel like oh she's he's too young you know, and oh, why should I let a young person like that? You know, I'm older than him. But sometimes it is it's nothing if if you could understand each other and could respect each other. You know, and if, if he as a gentleman, you may be maybe two years older than him, but he can view you as his wife and respect you and not just think that, you know, he can disrespect you because he's a man and he's not considering your age into the issue. I think it's a matter of respect for each other. Um, that, that should work. So for the age thing, it's got to do with maturity more. Um, we can't say no. I think, see it, is it workable? Can you live with it? Can you run with it? And then make up your mind and, and go forward. Yeah. Thank you, Papa. Yeah. It's a matter of respect and what you want. Yes. Amen. Yeah. Amen. So um, I'm joining these questions into one, Papa, but mm -hmm. what do you think about online relationships and... Um, it says distance relationships, but I'm guessing it means long-distance relationships. Right. So long-distance relationship, as in maybe the, the, one, the, the one, one, the one lives one. in the U.S. and the other one is in the U.K. Or one is in um, Tanoso <laughs> and, the, and the other one is in Australia. Yeah, um, something like that. Yes. Yeah, so, yes, um, it all depends on, we can't just say a flat do. There are advantages and disadvantages to them. Um, for how long? When did we start? Did we start because someone introduced us and we haven't met each other before physically? We have only seen pictures and thank God for technology. So now we can do FaceTime and see each other. That's, that's one. If it's just based on pictures as it used to be in the past, uh, we always say that pictures don't speak. So you have not still heard his voice and know how he behaves. You know, he has never frowned his face. You can see it. It's on the telephone and then a picture. 
Um, or sometimes you actually started the relationship, but circumstances meant one person got a scholarship or had an opportunity or an uncle somewhere says, come and join me. So he leaves and leaves the other person or she leaves and leaves you behind. And so you still carry on the relationship with the hope that you get married. Um, on the face of it, there's nothing wrong. What makes it an issue is how long it remains that way. Because the longer it takes, the chances of it not working is high. Because when it takes long, what is the reason why it's taking long? Sometimes it may be immigration documentation issues. So the other one is not able to actually, you know, really come or you are not able to join. In some cases, you know, other invitations have worked to make the other person still arrive in the other country so they can get along, get married and carry on with their life. But in some cases, it's not possible. So it becomes very frustrating for the other one. Whereas it gets to a point where people who don't know, you know, if for instance, the ladies come under pressure to say, you know, but these guys are coming. What are you doing? This person you are waiting for there, maybe seeing another lady there you don't know, you know, and all those things. So that also comes into the picture and it leads to unnecessary quarrels. You know, even despite the other person explaining all the reasons why he's not able to come and you're not able to come, you start blaming him. So what can you do about it? You know, and things like that. It leads to so many quarrels. So, on the face of it, it works if we have a plan. That's okay. Maybe in the next two years, things will work out and you come or I will come and we get married or I will have to let my parents come and do something, you know. But of course, sometimes people are also careful that it looks like you have trapped me now and since you engaged me, it's been five years, you know, and you are still there. So what's going on with me? Um, the other downside is that it gives too much room for third persons to quickly come in and come with stories and come and lie that, oh, she's seen someone where she is. You don't know. You know, some guys have been coming there and then the other person will start changing their mind. So I think that long distance is fine, but then we have to quickly get married. The other bit of the long distance is how it was contracted. Maybe that's what the person may have in mind with a question as to, I am here. Someone is in Ghana or in Nigeria. Then someone introduces us and says, you know, we can get along. Um, that, that one is also not bad, but it means that we have to investigate the backgrounds. We, we live in the Western world. We know some people who have wives here, and they still go and lie to some girl in Ghana that is coming to marry her, and it just comes to just, you know, see her, but never brings her here. You know, we've had one or two occasions like that where someone very close to us was, you know, found herself in a situation like that where she was going to, she believes that she has found a man here who is going to marry her. She's in Ghana. We've been believing God for her. And then this gentleman says, so she calls to say, I've met this guy. He's in London and he's going to get married to me. And we, are, we have gone very far. You know, so uh, one day, <laughs> one day we met this guy. And then my wife realized, I know the guy is married. You know, so he called a friend and said, this one, he's married, though. you know. And then later on, some homework was done. We realized that, hey, sister, don't, don't put your heart into this. This is, this is just fooling you, mm -hmm. you know. So uh, long distance can have some of these things if you don't have anyone fact-checking the other side for you. Um, then also there are online, you know, people meet on Facebook and be careful of that because the picture you are seeing may not be the person. <laughs> Uh, but some too has worked, as I said, I think somewhere last week, um, that's, you know, some 
online dating sites have worked. Uh, so we can't just say no, but I believe that if you are very active in church, you will find someone in church. You should find someone in church. You should find someone in church. Amen. If you can't find it, come to Protoss. Protoss. Amen. 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 There are eligible men and women in Proton. So um, serve the Lord well and um, you find one. Yes. Amen. Yes. Um, next one, Papa. Mm -hmm. It's how can you get the balance between family and ministry mm -hmm. without neglecting one or the other? Yes. It's a very, very good question. It's one of the... Um, issues that have not received proper uh, balance <clears throat> and sometimes it tilts more to the neglect of the home um, for the sake of ministry uh, but I believe that God's context is that they must be balanced and anyone going into ministry and serving God in the house of God God wants us to serve in the house of God but he also doesn't want us to neglect our homes and sometimes the neglect comes because either we didn't receive proper counseling on how we should balance it. And also we, you know, we don't plan for it. You know, it just, we enter into ministry. We are given rules to play in church. And then it's only when we start seeing the weight of family life. Sometimes people, it's, there are many ways by which this starts. Sometimes a ministry starts off and all the workers in church or the young ones they were not married so everybody can do it they've got all the time what the ministry needs to do is to be sensitive that as the young ones who you know start getting married and then they start becoming family people you need to be strategic in helping them know how to strike the balance because otherwise you see because they are stuck to the old ways of actually being available all the time. They have no one tied to them. They don't have anyone they are cooking for. They don't have anything. They are, you know, they are just themselves. That making that transition sometimes becomes an issue. And so if we are looking at it from that first principle where a ministry started with young people and therefore later on that they start getting married, they, they are available. They can do anything. But when they start getting married, we need to be factoring that into it to see we should have a clear balance here um, to know that this is what we need to do. We can't give all out like that. All out family at the neglect of church is not the will of God. All out church at the neglect of family is also not the will of God. So there must be that balance where there is structure. What do I do? What do you do in church? What is your ministry? You see, so we sit down and look at it. Sometimes the best thing also is that if both of us find ourselves in ministry, it's better to go to pastor and say, Pastor, something is happening now. Now children have started coming in. It's leading us to have some misunderstandings because commitment to ministry, commitment to each other. You know, so how do we balance this? What do we do? You know, so then we can look at it again and say, I think, uh, you know what? I think both of you cannot be in that department. You know, so one of you will have to be in that department that frees you on this day, you know, and then it frees this one on this day so that we can have some time. You see, when we get married and there are no children, yes, we can have our time for each other and have time for ministry. When the children start coming in, at a certain time, there's no issue. But at a certain point, we have to do homework with them. We have to know what time can we balance to do the homework. And then so it is actually a balancing act. 
but it must not be neglected. It, it's a science that must be sat down like a timetable to actually draw. And then if both of us found ourselves in very highly, you know, dependent ministries, and maybe both of us are in it, probably pastor will be able to counsel properly and say, I've done that to some people in the past to say, mm, I don't want you to be in the prayer department and be in the choir at the same time. Uh, ideally, we want, I, I didn't mind from the beginning. Everybody in our church, you must belong to at least two ministries, uh, where you are needed and where you are called. You know? So that is the, 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 the structure. However, there are certain people you realize that as it goes on, they may be having some challenges. And so you look at it carefully and say, if I, if I allow you to run the way you are running, you don't have time for yourself. You don't have time for the family. You don't have time for the children. So if I look at you, you may end up coming to church seven days in the week because of the role you play. You know, if you're in the prayer department, back then, you know, Mondays we were meeting. Tuesday we have got teaching service. Then Wednesday is either women's ministry meeting or men's ministry meeting, you know, that alternative Wednesdays. And then on Thursdays, our Bible school was running. So if this person is a student in a Bible school, was in prayer department and also is an usher, then you see that this person is in coming to a church meeting after work on Monday for prayer department meeting. Tuesday, definitely you have to report to duty for teaching service. Wednesday, if you're a woman, that's Wednesday you are coming to women's meeting, you know, so that it alternates with the other one. If you find yourself in the Bible school, then on Thursday you are in. Friday we have Holy Ghost service, then you find there. Now, if you are in the choir or you are in the ushering department, then on Saturday, you still have to be in church for set up your meetings, etc. And then Sunday, you are in church. So on some occasions, I've actually stopped some people. When I look at them and then realize that, you know, family life is kicking in, I just say, you know, what? I don't want you to be in the choir, you know, stay out of the choir. Otherwise, this is going to happen. And I think that you can also stay out of the prayer department. You know, a responsible pastor must be able to do that so as to create the balance. Otherwise, yes, they'll give their all to church, but the home will struggle. I have a philosophy. If the home is well, church will be well. So we must be able to have a proper balance. It's not to neglect the other, but to think carefully and say, what can, what's the best we can do? Can we even do homework at a certain time before we come for teaching service? You know, all that can be planned. When it's planned, it can be executed. But when it's not planned and thought through, you find yourself dragged to do, fulfill your ministry obligation at the same time, struggling with the home obligation. And then it changes the game as children start coming in. At every age, there's something new that comes and it drags you in a way. But then how do you do the balance? But as a senior pastor, you have been there. You've also had children and still run the ministry and still be able to do reading with them. How did you do it? That's what you need to be sharing with the people so you don't take advantage of them. And, and then they will be building the ministry but then their homes are not being built. You know, that's not the proper order of God. So every pastor must be able to help his members to actually strike that balance so that they can get it right. Amen. Amen. So it's all about the balancing. Um, yes. Yeah. Proper planning. Yeah. always tells me a false balance is an abomination. Yes. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So um, we don't have a lot of time, Papa, but I have um, two, four, five questions. <laughs> so I'm going to try and... I think one day we'll do these questions all night. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
um, try and put some of them together so okay. that we can um, get through at least all we have now. If any new ones come in, then we'll have to take them another day. Okay. Okay, so um, how can I avoid putting too much pressure on my child to succeed? Mm. And then I'll add, what are some of the ways to help your child cope with failures? Okay. All right. Um, there's always a natural pressure that comes on parents to ensure their children succeed, um, especially when they see other children succeeding. You know, doing well in their exams, doing well in school. And sometimes if we don't um, exercise self-control, we will unfairly uh, compare them to another child and then diminish their self-confidence because we don't also do it the right way. And sad sadly, the reason why sometimes parents get it wrong is because some parents themselves were not also properly parented. So they don't know how to do it. They just treat their children as if they are political opponents and, and then deal with them in the same way. So can't you see that one? Can you not learn like that? But sometimes if you take your time and study your child, you find out that maybe he's struggling with an area. Probably he's having some difficulty comprehending a subject. And so the approach may have to change. Sometimes you hear recommendation that, oh, when we go to uh, Mrs. So-and-so's place, she runs a private class for some children. You know? But when you send your child there, he's not able to cope. Maybe his must be private. He can't mix up with some people. Every parent must be patient with their children. Yeah, it's true some children become lazy. But you need to, after you push one or two, you'll be able to tell you know, that maybe they can learn in an environment of their own. And some too have got different methods of actually gaining knowledge. Some read through, others are visual learners. You know, so maybe if you change the style of teaching, you find that child is picking up with the same maths. Whereas in the book, because of the way you were brought up, you know, sometimes in, in Europe we struggle. I, I had my first struggle with the boys, I, mean, I think as an older boy, when I have to teach him, you know, his tables, timetable, you know, the, the way we were brought up is two, one, two, 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 four, two, three, six, and we are going. Now they have to start with two, four, six. I was like, I know bringing the times. <laughs> you know, so it, it was odd in my ears because I want to run him fast. And, uh, you know, those early days, you know, you have to teach him the factors and, you know, all those things. And it's like, you know, I can really get the answer for you. Uh, but I am not a teacher, and I may teach you my method, but that's different. So I really have to school myself. I really have to. I went into a parents' evening one, and I, I just asked for a one-on-one -on -one with the teacher. And my my wife is a teacher; she she can understand that. But there are things that she would do, and I also want to play my part. I don't want to, you know, let it there. We have now divided it. At least there are certain subjects. I am an expert in, and there are some subjects that she's an expert in, so we can balance it with them. Um, but I have to ask the teacher, how are you teaching this one this? Because, for instance, I can teach him the times table, but the way you have taught him, when I'm teaching him my style, is conflicting. He will get the answers, but that's not what you want. You know, so the long division and all those things, I could teach him, but the way you are teaching him is a different approach. So teach me how you've been teaching him. You know, so I have to submit myself for her to teach me. So I went to school for her to teach me 
how she's teaching. That's what a parent must do so that you are not putting needless pressure on the child. You want him to perform, but probably you are not looking at the gaps. Every parent must be a student of your child. Just like we said, be spiritual and sense. Be steady them. Some are slow learners. Some are slow to pick up. Others are very fast, sharp brain, quick. They get things and they run. All of them may not be the same. So when we start comparing them unfairly, we'll put needless pressure on them to succeed. So what we need to do is to first of all, ask yourself questions. Why is he struggling? And build a relationship with them so that they can tell you what they are struggling about. Otherwise, you know, they've got this. He's not able to ask a teacher for help. And then at home too, you have become too military in demand for him to produce answers. And now he's not able to talk to you. He's not able to ask you questions. And so he's stuck, you know. So in that way, you are not helping him. And especially in this part of the world, they don't repeat children. So they'll keep on running them through the system. And you thought that, oh, he's gone to year two and year three. But actually, he's in the bottom set. And at a certain set level, you will not be able to get a grade C. That means you'll never be able to attend a university. But a lot of parents don't know that. You know, so because he's moving on to year two, year three, year four, you just think he's running along. But he's at the bottom set of the class. And so when you go into those meetings with the teachers, ask them questions. Sometimes they are observing something which they can share with you. And practically some of them, you need professional help. You know, sometimes they can do an examination on them and detect what is going on. And then they've got systems in place that will help them correct it. Because we're always afraid they may find something wrong, we don't subject ourselves to professional help. But I want to counsel all parents, seek professional help sometimes. You'll find out that the child may be struggling with something psychologically, which in educational psychology can be sorted out by experts and then he'll be coached or she'll be coached to actually get it and you see them actually picking up on the very area that you thought they have a weakness in so in terms of the question we must be patient with our children let's not put needless pressure on them let's help them to do it let's guide them on the way sometimes i'm not talking only about the babies and the children in primary school but some too, even sometimes they are in university or they finish university and we just put it, go and look for a job go and do this Take time and find out, find out properly what is he or she struggling with. Probably there's a fear somewhere. Probably there's something that puts him or her away from what she's looking at. And there could be another pathway or there could be another form of counseling that can sort the issue out. Let's love our children. Let's be sensitive to them. And let's see them as unique individuals with unique needs so that we can also pay the price and get the right resources to guide them to turn out better. It was one question? Yes. The yes, second okay. one is, um, how do you help, um, what are some of the ways you can help a child to cope with failure? Right. We, we were all not created to take failure. You know, you see that it is, it is wired in us. That is why when we write exams and we are told it's going to be made public, we don't like it. Even when you think you will pass, you still don't like it. Unless you are very sure that you have blown the paper, as we used to say, then that's why you don't mind that it comes publicly because your name will be there. But for all humans, we were not created to be disgraced, embarrassed, and, and fail. So when a child fails, 
it's a very serious emotional stress that they go through. That's not a time to be shouting. Um, as it's always said, um, when someone is already down, you don't need to kick the person. So that child, please consider the child as an individual and he or she has emotions. I don't think he or she is very happy that she failed. So the home should be the place to come for them already because it, she could be dealing with a very nasty teacher already who is already calling her names and telling you you're a failure. There may be friends who are already bullies who have already added, you know, salts to injury. So when she or he comes home, you should be the one embracing them. Change the approach. Comfort them and tell them it's all right. It is the way to success. Nobody succeeded without failure. There's no way you can get to the top of a mountain without going through a valley. This is a valley stage, but it's not the end of the life for you. A parent must have words of comfort and encouragement. You must be the bastion the child you run to when the whole world is chasing them. And when they get to you, you must be the shoulder they can cry on. So you must be a comforter. Very strong. You know yourself. Don't go in. I told you, this is what you have been doing. This is what will happen. It won't change the results. It will add further wounds to the situation. So be an encouraging voice. There will be another time to talk about it. But in the immediate aftermath of the failure, don't talk about the failure. Offer words of hope. And later on, we would sit down again and look at the way forward. And in the way forward, then we can chip in words like, so what do you think went wrong? When you reflect, what do you think happened why you couldn't make the mark? So let the person volunteer. Then you will use wisdom to counsel and say, so as a result of this, now that you have said this, I think that going forward, it will be better for you to pay attention here, pay attention here, leave the iPad for a while, leave this one for a while, and then you become that voice so they can easily come to you. And then you now begin to seek help for the person and say, okay, if he's struggling in this area, what can I do? You know, so that's the way to help the child cope with failure. Thank you, Papa. So when the child is down, it's not the time to say, I told you so. Yes. We should have words of encouragement and support and be the shoulders to cry on. Yeah. Thank you. So we are gradually coming to the end of my, my very long list of questions. Um, I had, this one is also about children, so mm -hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll add it on now. Okay. It says, how can we know whether we are giving sufficient, sufficient attention and approval to our children? How can we know whether, whether we're we are... giving sufficient attention and approval to our children? Mm. Mm. I think the question is very wide. Yes. <laughs> okay, so um, how can we know whether we are giving them sufficient attention? attention and approval. And approval is approval bit where I'm asking what sort of approval as in terms of uh, giving them support or I, I approving it's, of it's, a request. No, I think it's it's about approval and support because generally right, okay. here they will say um, you have to approve Prove when, when the child does something. You have to give them. Okay, you know. okay, okay. All right. Yes, I in my ex in my experience and of course in in many things that I've read about, I I feel that the key to providing approval and making sure that we've given adequate timing uh, to things is, is whether when we test it, 
you know, we can find the results of what we did. So if we engage them, for instance, if we give them in a day, sometimes we, you know, we use give your family quality time. And I keep on asking, what is the definition of a quality time? You know, is it one hour? Is it two hours? Is it three hours? Um, and, and in those three hours, what are we doing? You know, because if we are singing for three hours, is it the purpose? You know, so if, if it's the purpose is to train them in singing, then we've given them quality time in that area. You see, but if it's just to keep them company, then you have to ask, is just singing with them for three hours adequate? So I believe that this whole thing is a science and an art. It, is, it must be properly structured. You know, marriage and children and bringing up children is a serious business. It must be looked at like a business, you know, so that you can have the best result out of it. So it is not very easy to say if we commit 10 hours to that, that would have been sometimes it's just that one touch of an hour, you know, of being. But what are we doing with them? Is the things that we are doing with them? What is the, what what have we planned as the exercise that we would do with them? What is the purpose of the activity for that two hours of the Saturday that I want to have with them alone? If I want to take have a boys' day out, what am I going to do with them? Is there a plan inside? So I have to factor a plan. There's fun in it, but then there's some lesson I want to show them also. So I should be able to have that all in mind whenever I decide to take them out. You know, to actually, because I want to teach them something, I can choose the location of where we are going to maybe have dinner. But there's something there that I want them to learn as well. So it's part of your plan of taking them in that direction. Of That's a reason why you're taking them to that country. That's a reason why you're taking them to that city you know, etc. And then to know whether we have given them sufficient approval, um, their self-confidence, it depends on what the issue is. But if it is, let's say, someone who doesn't have enough self-confidence or is struggling with, let's say, a behavioral issue or in a, a subject area, the methods we are using, we have to be able to test it. So for instance, if I have to uh, say, when you do this, I will reward you with this. And I still see all the time that really, when I say now you're getting 10 over 10 out of your dictation and I'm getting the 10 over 10s, it means that the, the approval I'm giving is working. But if, if gradually we're still getting 2 over 10, then it means that the approval is not working. Maybe my method is wrong. So then I, that's why I'm able to assess myself to know whether the methods I'm using is working or not. But if we don't have a way of testing it, it will be very difficult to say, oh, I gave them quality time and I've given him approval, you know, but really is approval working? So what is the benchmark? What do we use to test? So depending on the issue, we'll be able to know that if I decide to say, okay, if I don't get any report from school that you've been, you have not been talking in the class and distracting the class, and that means that every Friday you are getting this as a reward, let me see whether the person is going to look forward to the Friday and it's or he's not going to call it a bluff, you know, so he's still continuing to misbehave and call off the Friday offer as a bluff. That means the Friday offer is not a good offer. You know, so that's, it's, it's something, it's a try and error until you get it. You know, it's not something that we can say, go this way. Every child is different. Every home is different. And so you have to actually study your own and then gradually use those tools to, to test it. Thank you, Papa. So uh, my last but one question. <laughs> Does the Bible allow sex for pleasure? In I the don't marriage? Know in what context? That's the question. Okay. Um, sex was designed for pleasure and also for procreation. 
and it must be enjoyed only in the context of marriage according to the word of God, not according to the systems of the world. We must always bear that in mind that we are Christians and that there is no amount of enlightenment, um, generations, and times that have moved on that will make God change his mind on his law. His laws are fixed and no act of parliament can abrogate it. And no lifestyle of a Western world can change God's mind and his law. And nobody's more modern than him. He was and is and is to come. He's already in the future. So we don't arrive in the 21st century and think things have moved on. These things that were written in the Bible were in the first century. The one who wrote it is already in the 21st century. He's already in the 22nd century before we arrive. So he's more still modern than us and his word stands. Sex is for pleasure and for procreation. So if we are not um, procreating, it's for pleasure in the marriage. Amen. Amen. Only in the marriage. Yes. Amen. Yes. <laughs> the last one, it says, is it a sin for a married couple to use contraception? <laughs> I kept this for last. <laughs> it is not a sin. It is wisdom to, to, to control um, the process of reproduction. Um, many people have cited Genesis 38. Um, the sin of Onan um, as the reason and because in that account but then as I've been teaching you in this church and we have been teaching you get things in context Genesis 38 is not an attack on um, contraception or protection uh, against um, you know unwanted pregnancies however the act recorded there was the principle of the breach of the faith for which he had his brother's wife. The culture in those days in Genesis 38 and most of the time in the Old Testament was that when you have a brother who is married and the brother dies, you are allowed to marry his wife on this condition to raise up children for your brother. So when you marry his wife and you have children with his wife, those children are credited to your brother. They are not yours. They belong to your brother. That is a culture and a custom in those days. So in the case of Onan, the reason why God killed him was because he was giving his brother's wife on that condition. But when he went to bed with his brother, he then, when it is time for him to ejaculate, he just pulled out and ejaculated on the floor. And so people have seen it in the context of the usage of condom as actually the same way. And the Bible says, because he did that, the Lord killed him. The Lord did not kill him because he did that. The Lord killed him because he breached the reason why he went to bed with the woman. And that is to make sure that you make her pregnant so that you raise up children in memory of your brother. But you decided to just have pleasure without wanting to have a child with her. That is taking advantage of her. And that is not the contract that she also understood in the context of the culture for which she was given to you. So because he breached the contract, remember God says he hates truth breakers. 
covenant breakers. That is why God killed him. So it wasn't a case of that. Now, as we grow and with advancement in technology, etc., it is common sense sometimes to space the children. And so that is the reason. And of course, as we said, sex was created for the context of pleasure as well. You know, so if you look at it, it is not going to be possible. I mean, a woman is fertile for at least three days only in her life. In, in, in a month, she's fertile for three days. So the rest of the days, what is it for? If it's not for making her pregnant, the rest of the day then is for pleasure. So is it God worked all these things out <clears throat> in the body of, of the woman. And, and so using condoms is not a sin. I know the Catholic Church in, interprets it in that context, but I, I believe that they are doctrinally wrong. I believe that they are doctrinally wrong. They are looking at it in the context of Onan, but Onan's case was not a case of contraception. It was a case of actually deliberately, you know, taking advantage of the pleasure of his brother's wife rather than the purpose for which it was given to her. And that is what God looked on and God judged her based on that. Amen. 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 Thank you so much. But it's not for boys and girls. <laughs> Don't use condoms because you fear you make her pregnant. And that one, you are committing fornication. It's a sin. Prodons, are you there? Yes, we are. Okay. <laughs> so, Papa, please, yes. let's end with this yes. uh, kissing question. Yes. <laughs> if you are um, in a premarital relationship, mm -hmm. why is it so wrong to kiss? And when you say kissing, what do you mean? Is it a, a peck on the cheek? Is it uh, the ones that we see in movies? <laughs> uh, yes. Can you end us on that, please? <laughs> uh, I, see. I wish I'm hearing their voices. If it was a proton service, I could be hearing all the technologies that they are bringing. Right. Now. It's going on online. It's going on online. They are, they are doing it there. Okay. Okay. I won't mention names. I won't mention names. But the fundamental thing is this. Yes. Just like the tree in the Garden of Eden. The eating of a tree is not a sin. But the breaking of the commandment that was given around it is what makes it a sin. The scripture says that we should flee from every appearance of evil. The scripture says in Proverbs chapter 6 that can a man, can a person hold fire in his bosom and not be burned? You know, so, and the scripture says that we should flee fornication. So, these things, for instance, kissing, it's a beginning stage of initiation that can turn you on for sex. And so it, that, that is the reason why we counsel against it. Anything that will set you up to commit sin, you will have to avoid it. That's what the Bible says, flee from every appearance of evil. You, if you, there are certain things you will not be able to handle. You know, you, you are not plastic. Some currents will start flowing through you and you don't know when you are going to stop. When next does it stop? I mean, all those that have ended up committing sex, didn't it start like that? You thought you'd be able to stop it, but you couldn't. And that is why we need to be careful. Remember, we live to please him who called us to be soldiers. And so these are safeguards. So on the face of it, kissing alone may not be a sin, but if you are looking at it from Jesus' standard, what will be going through your head whilst you are kissing? Would it not be lasting after each other? 
you'll be looking for more. You won't end with the kids. So what will you be thinking about? The Bible says anyone that looks on a woman lustfully, and I believe that's all with a man lustfully, has already committed the act in their heart. So we need to be mindful of that. And that is the reason why the kissing. Because, of course, I'm talking about French kiss. I'm talking about mouth-to-mouth kissing. Because sometimes it starts like that. You say, oh, I will just kiss you only a head. <laughs> the next time you take it to the nose. And before you realize now, your mouth touches him and say, oh, Father, in the name of Jesus, deliver us from this. Then next week, you have done it again. Now we start moving to other parts of the body. So it starts from a point and it doesn't end. There's a point of no return. That's why we can't carry the fire in our bosom and not be burnt. And in order to avoid that, you stay away. You stay away from anything that will appear that way. You know, otherwise, it can lead to problems. That, that is the reason why. That is the reason. Thank you very much. You're Papa. Welcome. So Papa is not mentioning names, but I will mention names. Abishai, you're happy now? <laughs> um, I have been, I, I don't know, I could go on for another hour or two mm. um, because I've been really blessed. Um, Bishop has taught me mm. a lot of things this evening. Um, that I know that I am going to put into practice Amen. and I know that it's going to change my life so thank you very much Papa I know we've all been blessed and so on behalf of everyone who has joined us online we want to say thank you so much for once again taking the time to patiently teach us and answer our questions Amen. for us and so online can i see some emojis can i see some shouts and some dancing as we say thank you to bishop thank you very much you're welcome you're welcome amen <laughs>